Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. This is the entrance music to 31 of the 32 head coaches in the NFL nowadays. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, Harry Douglas in for Key today. Dan Graziano with us. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, coming to you live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17. Don't stereotype. Doug Peterson could listen to some, like, you oh, know, sure. Otis Redding, you know, some other. You could listen you to hip hop. Yeah, don't stereotype. Let's well, not forget, though, in Philly, hold on, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, Y'all thought yeah, I was yeah, finished? Yeah, okay, see. <laughs> Let's not forget, you know, now. When Yates is doing the boards, uh, this is not the music we hear. Definitely James is doing the, the boards today, and we hear this music. I respect you, James. Um, let's get right into the news of the morning. Doug Peterson has been hired as head coach of the Jaguars. Dan, he's a Super Bowl-winning head coach. He is. Had a lot of success, not just with Carson Wentz, but with Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. What is Doug Peterson going to have to do in order to, and we've been all over the racial angle all morning, right? Yeah. But the fact is, he's the coach, Trevor Lawrence, who yeah. was supposed to be a generational talent. Mm-hmm. What's he going to have to do to successfully coach Trevor Lawrence? So I think uh, Doug Peterson coaching Trevor Lawrence is not necessarily going to be the issue. I think he knows how to do that, right? Like I think, uh, and he'll bring a staff in that'll that'll connect with him and, and and get the best out of him. I think the bigger issue here and why the coaching search for the Jaguars took so long, they started interviewing people with two weeks left in the regular season. Um, they 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 are a a terrible organization. I mean, they've lost 119 games <laughs> in the 10 years that, that Shad Khan has owned the team. That's a lot more than any other team has lost in that time. A lot of the candidates, Doug Peterson included, were in there for these interviews asking as many questions of the team as the team was asking of them, saying, well, wh- what's going on here? Why does this organization run this way? And is there, any, is there worth having a conversation about changing that? changing some things about the way decisions are made here, the way the front office operates. I, I think we're going to see more news come out on the Jaguars in the next couple of days involving front office positions. They're talking to Rick Spielman, who used to be the Vikings GM, about a front office position mm-hmm. there. I, I think that it, for Doug Peterson to agree to this job, he had to get some of his questions answered about the Jaguars and, and the plan uh, and how it differs from past years. Because, you know, I mean, they, they bring in Tom Coughlin to run the thing, and they keep the GM and the coach, and then Cough, they fire Coughlin – they keep the GM and the coach. They fire the GM and the coach. They bring in a new coach, but they keep the guy that was there with the GM and Trent Baalke. Like, there's just – it's been haphazard. So I think they want uh, – Peterson and, and whoever's coming in here needs some definition in terms of how the organization operates and some promises on why it's going to be different. Now, Dan, I think the first thing that Doug Peterson has to do – well, first thing, period. Him and Trevor Lawrence, they have to be like Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first thing is that you go through all that tape, and Trevor Lawrence had six, 17 interceptions this year. Yep. You have to go through the do's and don'ts. Okay, what triggers Trevor Lawrence to make these interceptions and make these bad decisions? Uh, what does he do well? Uh, because I've seen a lot of times where these new coaches, and I went through it with Marcus Mariota his first year. Marcus Mariota weren't comfortable doing certain things, but we were still doing it because that was the offensive system. Uh, great coaches understand that it's not all about your system all the time. It's about adapting things around that player. Right. Um, I think that's the first thing they have to define. But for Trevor Lawrence, I think he's a guy with tremendous upsides. I love watching him at the college level, being able to co- uh, cover the college game. Uh, but him and, and Coach Peterson, they have to be on the same page at all times. He does. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, of all the rookie quarterbacks, the one who made me go, oh, 
this year in moments more than anyone else, more than Justin Fields, was Trevor Lawrence. He yeah. did some things where I was like, oh, okay, excuse me, right? And, and by the way, he did it in college too, and, and that's why he was probably the most sought-after number one overall since Andrew Luck. And why this job was appealing. And why the job yes. is appealing. Cap space and why a Urban young Meyer quarterback. I think the only reason the job was appealing is because Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. Yeah, so, yeah. so, but so Dan, speaking of appealing, what happened with Byron Leftwich? Yeah. So, again, a lot of the candidates were uncomfortable with the way the, the front office structure, the decision-making process in Jacksonville was. My understanding is Byron Leftwich, who was a serious candidate, and, and I mean, a week ago people were thinking that he was about to get the job, um, was one of those people that, that, didn't, that didn't love the, the setup, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Byron is, is a young coach. Uh, who I think believes he's going to get his opportunity, but you don't want a, your first opportunity to be one where you're not positioned to succeed. And I think the Jaguars' job to a lot of people felt that way. And I, I think my understanding is Leftwich was among those people. And uh, I, I guess Peterson got the assurances he needed to get, and, and Leftwich did not. Uh, so reading reports, and I actually need you to help me confirm these, but I guess he wanted his guy, Adrian Wilson, to be considered for a general manager position, and did the front office or did the uh, Jaguars not agree to those terms to a degree? That's certainly out there, right, that yeah. that, that Adrian Wilson was the guy. I, I think the best way to look at this right now, not being me personally not being certain about okay. that, is that a lot of the coaching candidates the Jaguars are interested in wanted some reassurances about how the front office was going to be structured and operate. And some of them didn't get those reassurances. And my understanding, and I think it will reveal itself in the, in the coming days, is that I, I think to some extent at least Doug Peterson did. Hmm. That exp- that it also explains why Byron Leftwich withdrew his name from the situation. Right. So, mm-hmm. And I, again, I think it's, it's important. And, you, know, you don't want the perception out there that you're, that you're pulling your name out of consideration because you, know, you want to be considered for other jobs in the future. So that's a little bit of a dicey um, situation, but I do think Byron Leftwich is a young coach with a with a with a strong pedigree who's going to be considered for other jobs in the future. And if you go to a place where you don't think you're going to succeed right away, you're not setting your career up very well for long term. And we success. just had that example with David Cully, correct? Literally just had that example last year, right? Understandable. Yeah. So Dan, we, we've seen now six head coaches out of nine openings mm-hmm. who are all white. Yes. Uh, so we have three openings left. Mike McDaniel, whose dad is black, will interview with the Dolphins today, according to Adam Schefter. Eric Bieniemy will interview with the Saints, and Brian Flores is a finalist with the Saints and the Texans. Do you expect to see any black candidates hired this cycle? I mean, I, I say yes, but I would have said yes six openings ago, and here we are, right? I mean, so, yeah. like, it's, it, 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 it's a very frustrating situation. I mean, I, I know that there are a lot of people around the league frustrated with it. It's a terrible look for the league. Uh, I don't know what the fix is because fundamentally you have 32 individual team owners who are making 32 individual decisions. And as time goes on and the pattern repeats itself, what's revealed is that they're inclined to make decisions a certain way. And I don't know how you, you sort of tear people out of their inclinations, but that's what's going to have to happen or else over time, the people who are making the decisions are going to have to change. But so I, yeah, I, I think, I, I think so. Yes, I mean you list these yeah. names, but would I would I bet anything on it? No. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, J- Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning head coach. You know what? So is Jim Caldwell. He didn't get the job in Jacksonville. So, like, what? I mean, what what are we supposed to believe? It, it can't just be coincidence after coincidence after coincidence. There's something systemically wrong. Well, and that's why you have a guy like a Brian Flores 
who is making a sacrifice for the yeah. greater good because we have situations like this that have been occurring over and over again continuously, right? Uh, we don't see the NFL innovating in that in that sense when it comes to people of color being head coaches and getting the opportunities to showcase the talents and the leadership that they have. So if a lot of people are wondering, why is Brian Flores doing this? We have six coaches that got hired. Not to knock anything, any no, one of no, those I coaches in their coaching uh, abilities. It. But all six of them are white. And Whether not one you, black guy has gotten a job yet. Whether you've heard Brian Flores, you can make up your own mind. It's credible. It's not credible. He's right about this. He's wrong. He's reading too much into it. He's not. Uh, he is clearly taking great professional risk to address an issue that he thinks is bigger than himself and is and and he has a moral imperative to address. And whether you admit it or not, because to me it's pretty clear, it's it is it commands respect. You know, it's there's something about him now. When you look at him, you go, oh, okay. Jay, Jay I want to get to yeah, Flores. Sure. What has been the reaction around the league, Dan? to Flores' claims that Stephen Ross offered him $100,000 per game that he lost? Uh, I think, I mean, I think it varies. I think there are people who find it, uh, you know, difficult to believe, right? I, I think there are people that find it um, easier to believe. I think that the league has said they have to look into it. They will look into it. If there's evidence, then I think, I, I think fundamentally the, the, the general reaction is if there's evidence of this and they produce evidence of this, then I think Stephen Ross is in some trouble with regard to continuing on as the owner of an NFL team. Uh, if there's not hard evidence and it's just one person's word against the others, then it, there's likely not going to be any change to the status quo. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a serious allegation. And, you know, the extent to which you believe Brian Flores on that depends, I think, on your circumstances and your experience in the league. So let me tell you about what happened yesterday, which I, I thought was really interesting, and it was intense. So his legal advisor is sitting next to us behind. Flores's. Yep, Brian Flores' legal advisor is sitting next to us behind us, and I'm interviewing Brian, and I asked him that exact question, Dan, because that's exactly where my mind goes. Is there anybody on the staff or anybody around you, any text messaging, anything that can corroborate your story? He looks up at me, and he, he, he's about to start talking, and it feels like he's about to start listing names, but he looks at his advisor. And his advisor says, hey, they go, they talk. And he comes back and he says, I can't tell you names, but there are a multitude of people who will corroborate my story. Oof. So that's, yeah. that's what he stated openly It sounds on like multiple is people, about to multitude. hit the shan the roof, for Stephen the Ross. Roof. The roof is on fire. So that's, I mean, if that's Damn. the case, then then we will find we will out. See. If that's yes. the case, then, then it's very serious. Where can we hear that interview? This is way? quite a yes. podcast. It's on NPR The Limits. Thank you. I should the be plugging limits. myself right. in my own podcast. Who hosts, <laughs> who hosts yeah. The Limits? I host The Limits. It's a very good looking <laughs> Sounds guy. Sounds like Dude, something I might like to listen to once this radio program ends. Yes. Handsome yeah, guy, this uh, host that. Right. got to start promoting it like Max promotes but, his show. But I will say this, uh, being a former player um, in the integrity of the game, if these allegations are true, I think they're despicable because you have coaches who spend yeah. countless hours trying to win. You have players who sacrifice being with their families and coaches as well. Uh, I, it's not good for business. No, it's not well, good look, at all. Look, I mean, guys, there's so much more to get into. Tank, we could argue whether it should ethically tanking, whatever. But the fact is, when you ask a black coach to tank, since they rarely get opportunities yeah. at head coaching jobs and yep. almost never second opportunities. There is an overlapping racial component where there's so much to get into. The one group in the NFL that can force meaningful change when it comes to the NFL's hiring practices. That's next. Keyshawn J. Willemax, ESPN Radio and ESPN2. 
Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins head coach and his attorneys filed a lawsuit today that alleges racism in hiring. This was a great day of sacrifice for Coach Flores. More Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max next. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins head coach, and his attorneys filed a lawsuit today that alleges racism in hiring. The playing field is not leveled. It's not level at the bottom rings of coaching, and it's also not level at the top. I know one very qualified black coach who almost refused to interview this week because he really felt he was being used. This was a great day of sacrifice for Coach Flores. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. We got Harry Douglas sitting in for Key today. And we asked earlier in the week, guys, when players, or or let me reemphasize that, when players are going to start to talk about Brian Flores' lawsuit and what impact they, meaning the players, can have. Our own Kimberly A. Martin was at the Pro Bowl practice yesterday in Las Vegas and spoke to one of the baddest dudes in the league, Chiefs defensive back Tyron Matthew, about just that issue, and here is Matthew's reaction. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, being in this league nine years, um, you hear a lot of things like that uh, that, that kind of takes place. Um, you know, uh, but I was more so proud of him, you know, really taking a stand, um, not just for himself, but, you know, for a lot of black coaches, you know, around the league that, you know, seem to get overlooked or, or, or seem to um, just be, you know, an uh, interview that, that, that just get checked off on. So it's a lot of black coaches that are capable of, of leading men, capable of, uh, you know, winning. Uh, and really capable of leading, you know, these franchises and organizations. So I'm really hoping that, um, you know, things can change and and, and then a lot of these uh, black men could, you know, start to get these jobs. Yeah, and I think it's it's awesome for players to be able to step up in these positions, but who I think right now should step up in these these conversations uh, because I think it it, it will affect the bottom line of the NFL is – who we see is going to be the face of the National Football League coming. Mm-hmm. And that's a Joe Burrow. We just seen one of the greatest games, if not the greatest games we ever seen, by Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Those two guys. Justin Herbert, Mac Jones. Um, Who did Tom Brady post on IG saying, Le- you're next? Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Jackson. The, this, this is the young wave that's going to be the face of the National Football League. It's not just going to be one guy. These quarterbacks that I just named, those guys are going to be the face of the National Football League. They can make the stance, and Trevor Lawrence has the leadership. I'll add him to that, to that category as well. 
in college, uh, standing up for a guy like George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. He did those things while at Clemson. But in order for things to, to, to be changed, you need white faces. And I hate to say it like that, but that's the reality of it. Hold on. As I keep quoting Chris Rock on this one. He's like, people say black people have come so, of such a far, a long way. He's like, no, 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 we haven't. White people have come yeah. a long way. What, 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 what do you think the root of the problem is here? It's the people in power who have exploited another group of people. And when those people start to get it, things will get better. Yep. Um, so absolutely, you have a responsibility as a human being, as an American, as a, as a person to... If you see injustice toward a group of people, especially they're your colleagues, they're your brothers in arms on, in a game like football, how could you sit idly by? And look, and I'll be honest, Tom Brady didn't do it. Aaron Rodgers didn't do it. Drew Brees didn't do it. So we can't say we want those guys to do it. They're on their way out. We need the new wave. We need the Justin Herberts. We need the Joe Burrows. We need the Patrick Mahomes. Mm. We need the Lamar Jacksons. We need all these guys, the Trevor Lawrences, the Mac Jones. We, we need y'all to step up and make this stance because the owners are going to definitely listen to y'all because y'all are the guys that can affect the bottom line the most because y'all are going to be the face of the National Football League. When you go in a single shot like that, you make me feel like I'm at church. Because, you know, I was <laughs> amen, bro. I, I, you're preaching. Um, y'all don't want to hear from me because I'm, I'm extreme with it. So, for me, I go to – it's the thought of threat that I think would will power to the players. And, Max, you and I were talking about this the other day in the call about, well, the players need to do something. I'm like, well, how do the players collectively get together to do something? Like, that goes to the union. But I automatically go to an extreme by saying, okay, if we really want to implement change on hiring practices and more opportunities and really get owners' ears and attention, what's the biggest stage in football? Super Bowl. It's coming up in a week. The threat of these teams collectively being like, we're not sure we want to play before these changes happen. Now, I know that puts a lot of pressure on just these two teams, but collectively working together to say, we want these things in order for us to play that will hinder, I mean, television rights, the amount of money that the league is allowed to own, getting the attention of Roger Goodell. Other owners will listen because they'll be on the same stage or they hope to be on the same stage. And that's how you will power. I'll, I'll say that's this how you willpower. Guys. I mean, Jay, Jay, you brought the, the flamethrower. You know? yeah. yeah, you're right. And, and I'll say this, guys, and I put this on my Instagram: leaders lead and sacrifice individuality for the greater good. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter if it's a Super Bowl, no matter if it's at the the height of your career, leaders lead and sacrifice individuality for a greater good. And by the way, that's why Brian Flores has a kind of magnetism now. People are drawn to him because they can see the leadership qualities, the the willingness to sacrifice for the greater good, which is what you ask of players as a head coach. Sacrifice for the team. That's right. Your personal health, your safety, your career, your ability to make money. Sacrifice for the team. Mm-hmm. Your, your, per, your stats, your personal glory for the team. And he is willing to do the same thing, and you're immediately drawn to him. And this addresses something that is interesting to me. For the longest... And I've talked about how NFL camera goes to head coach, quarterback. They made sure those faces were white, right? <laughs> I mean, a Warren Moon, hey, you know what? We want to play receiver. You know, okay, maybe don't play in the NFL. Warren Moon. Now there are lots of black faces at quarterback, and I see a 
decrease in black faces at head coach. Like, it's almost as though unconscious. I don't know if it's conscious. Maybe for some it is. The camera's going to go here and see these black faces. I don't want to go in there, too, because all of a sudden, middle America gets it. It's actually a black league. So the issue there with quarterback and coach, the stereotype was black men can't lead, right? They lack leadership quality. That has been exploded, of course. It's nonsense. Now, a subtler stereotype, I think, because the goalposts keep moving, right? A subtler stereotype is at work in terms of the head coaching positions now. What is the craze in the NFL right now? What kind of coordinator gets the head coaching job? Sometimes they're not even coordinators. Offense. Offensively minded. Right? So the defensive guy, well, now I think there's been an acceptance. Well, that can be... White or black, you can have a guy who goes rah-rah and let's get the defense going and I have a certain kind of magnetism in my personality and I can lead men. People have accepted that could be black or white. But now it's the mastermind who can be the head coach. It's the guy who understands the subtle intricacies of the offense. Mm -hmm. And without saying it, it's just implicit. It's not explicit. There seems to be a set, at least I get the sense that That's going to the white guys, the young hotshot offensive coordinator, because when it's a black offensive coordinator, what you start to hear is, well, he's not really calling the plays. It's really the coach calling the plays. And or he can't interview with these teams because he's on a Super Bowl run like Eric Bieniemy, even though Kevin (laughs) O'Connell, who's on a Super Bowl run right now, landed the Denver job. It does seem that even if it's not the goalposts, it's the it's the qualifications, the assumptions we make about groups of people and their qualifications and their ability to do that is now taken hold and is limiting head coaching opportunities, it seems to me, guys, for black coaches. And it's crazy because you look at the – when you flip to the defensive side of the ball, I look at three guys right now, Ty Bowles, D'Amico Ryans, and Raheem Morris. Three guys that I thought that should have had an opportunity to be a head coach in this cycle. Hmm. In this cycle. Raheem Morris took over defense that Brandon Staley had, and he got a head coaching job, and he's going to the Super Bowl this weekend, next weekend with an opportunity to win, and he's a guy who's already been a head coach at one point. You've seen when he took over as interim head coach with the Atlanta Falcons and me being in Atlanta following it closely, the change that happened when he became head man in charge, the defense started elevating at that point. But Harry? All of a sudden, he, he can't. Why can't he get a Harry, coaching job? Harry, you're talking about quali- – look at the resume. Look at the qualifications. What we don't even consider is Cliff Kingsbury. You wouldn't think he would get a head coaching job. What about – you're just talking about here are likely African-American candidates. Yeah. Look at the resumes. Look at the success. Look at they, – they they've waited in line. Now you hear a lot about they deserve. They've earned it. What about the guys who maybe you think they don't deserve or earned it yet but you might look at them and go, you know what? I don't care. I know he's not an offensive coordinator, or I know maybe he's a college coach. That dude would be a great head coach because those opportunities seem to exist for white coaches. We don't even think about that possibility for black coaches. you got to have a resume that goes out the door. You've been coaching since 1972, and somehow also you're not too old and all this kind of – come on. I'm, I'm going to take it further. You know how many people that's coaching in the National Football League or any sport – who probably don't know what the hell they're doing and learning on the fly because one of their make it. because one of their buddies hired them. Oh, that's, that's not their, that's not any sport, Harry. That's business in general. <laughs> that's business in general. You put people on that you have similarities to, that you have comfortability yeah. around, that you spend time around. Like those people are your, you know, your boy. And that like 
you know, that doesn't get the same kind of criticism that the same double standards that Max is talking. It's interesting. Guys, we're going to have much more on this throughout the morning. Honey Badger said some stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Including Jimmy Haslam's response. I thought Jimmy Haslam's. We're going to play it for you. I thought Jimmy Haslam's response to Hugh Jackson has been the most effective response to allegations from an owner of a team that I have heard yet. Mm. I'll explain how I think this relates to uh, Jay-Z and Nas and the takeover in Ether. I do this. I go to that example every time I think someone makes a good point in an argument like that. Um, But the biggest rivalry in sports, according to Jay Will, returns this weekend. On April 2nd, 1984, John Thompson's Georgetown Hoyas led by Patrick Ewing, beat Houston in the NCAA championship game, making Thompson the first black coach to win an NCAA basketball title. Thompson became a coaching icon during his 27 years at Georgetown. When he passed away in 2020, several coaches honored him by wearing his signature white towel. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio. We are joined now by the great Jay Billis, ESPN College basketball analyst, as though that needed to be said. What's going on, Jay? Can you hear us, JB? I don't know if JB can hear us. I hear you. Okay. All right. All right. I hear you. You guys doing all right? Yeah, we're doing good, man. It's good to see you. I, I love the programming. Uh, what was it, uh, Bald and Beautiful, that you guys do uh, for all your takes? <laughs> That's one, that's one way to call it. It's bald men on campus, which yes. you, you, you're certainly welcome to come back because you qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why I miss your snarkiness. Hey, uh, speaking of snarkiness, obviously a, a huge rivalry going on this weekend, Duke at North Carolina. I wanted to get your thoughts on every place that Coach K has gone this year, essentially, they have presented him with some kind of gift or token of their appreciation for what he's brought to the game of basketball. What I'm hearing is that North Carolina is not going to do that in, like, to respect their rivalry. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I didn't hear that. This is the first time hearing that. Um, whatever anybody wants to do is fine. I mean, you know, th- there's a ton of respect between Duke and North Carolina, so I don't care about that stuff. That's fine. And the truth is, Jay, like, you know this because you've been to his house. Like, where's Coach K going to put If they give him a plaque or a piece of the (laughs) Smith Center floor, where's he going to put it? Like, he's got no space anymore for all this stuff. And really, it's kind of like a wedding registry. He should have, like, a retirement registry. And and what he, you know, or people should just give him cash. That's And then he can get what he wants. But the the one thing, and Jay, you, you know this, like, the one thing that Coach K is usually very thoughtful about people's feelings but like the, the you know doing this the way he did announcing the retirement during the summer and then he's going to retire at the end of this season that requires multiple gifts on the part of his former players and i don't think that's fair and i don't think he thought about us <laughs> one bit when he made this decision jb we know coach for a long time you've known him longer than i and uh, he's a very emotional person i even saw what he did um, i think the last couple of days with nolan smith considering his father played at louisville when they got that win on the road and just kind of commemorating his father and in front of the team. It was a very special moment. How emotional do you think he's going to be all right, during this last game in Chapel Hill? Yeah, Jay, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know the answer to that um, because I, I, I think he's emotional when it's time. 
I don't know that he lets his his sort of emotions slip into uh, battle mode when he's coaching and, and going into a game. So while we're going to make a big deal out of his last trip to Chapel Hill as as Duke's head coach, you know, I don't know that he's going to be so sentimental about it until it's over. Um, and I, like I've seen and we've both seen this where the middle of the season, you know, you can tell like he looks he looks a little tired because he he kind of works so hard. He stays up and watches film all night. And, and, and maybe when he was 35 years old, it didn't show as much. But he's still as energetic as ever. But you can tell he's burning the candle, the burning the midnight oil. Um, but I, I think he'll be fine on all that stuff. The, the, the thing that'll be most interesting to me is his press conference after his last game. And, and after the Duke Carolina game at Cameron, because there'll be so many former players there, um, how, he, you know, how he reacts to that when the buzzer goes off, win or lose. Jay, emotions aside, because the game still has to be played and the game has, has to be won by one of these two teams, but how important of a game is it for Duke and Coach K? Well, it's for first place in the league. If Carolina wins, they're in first place. If Duke wins, they're in first place. Um, and that's what this rivalry has come to be over the years. It's played for something other than, you know, pride and territory and all that stuff, like most rivalries are. It's not just because of proximity. It's been this good because of excellence. And, you know, Carolina's a different team this year than they were last year and, and, and have been. You know, they're not as big up front. Uh, they don't offensive rebound as well. And they're not as good of a transition team, but they can, they can really shoot it. And they're a good three-point shooting team, and they run a lot of spread ball screen stuff. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see if they can guard Paolo Bancaro because they don't really have a natural matchup for him. Uh, so, it, But, it, you know, the one thing about this rivalry, and, and I, I think Jay had backed me up on this, it doesn't matter which team is, is better in a given game. The one thing you know is these two teams, for reasons you can't describe, will play harder and better in this game than any other game they play. And every game is important to, to these teams, but not every game is big. And no game that they'll play in is as big as Duke Carolina. And it, it's, it's hard to describe the reasons why, but it's true. And, and you saw it last year when Caleb Love went in and torched Duke at their place after not having shot the ball well at all. And, uh, and you'll see something like that uh, on Saturday night. Harry, my house in North Carolina still gets toilet papered before every Duke North Carolina game uh, from fans in my neighborhood. We have Jay Billis, ESPN College basketball extraordinaire, czar and expert in life joining us on Keyshawn, Jay Will and Max. JB, you know, I, I was laughing the other day. My wife was showing me video of you interviewing me in 1999 at the McDonald's All-American game, looking fresh and fly as ever. And from somebody that's played for coach, that's been covering this rivalry for a long time, What's your favorite Duke, North Carolina moment? Well, Jay, first of all, your house got teepeed, not because of the Duke Carolina rivalry. That was just your personality in the neighborhood and, and your reputation. Um, my favorite, you know, I don't know that you can come up with a favorite, but um, my, maybe the, the moment that sticks out to me most. And, and, you know, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but my junior year, uh, we won in Chapel Hill for the first time uh, in, in my four years at, at Duke. And when we came back in the locker room, we had a number of, of administrators in there, Duke administrators, that were tearing up and, and kind of crying about it. And I said, what is wrong with you guys? And they said, you know, Duke hasn't won here in 20 years. And they went through a list of players that never won there. Mike Jaminski never won here. Gene Banks never won here. You know, all this stuff. 
and I'm like, well, you know, we need to make this a more regular occurrence. Like this can't, this can't be this way. And I, that made a big impact on me. And then in 1992, when uh, I was a grad assistant, Duke was number one, had Leitner, Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, Thomas Hill, those guys. Uh, Carolina beat Duke and it was the bloody Montrose game. It was a Mm -hmm. Hubert Davis torched Duke in that game. When we were walking off, uh, the Carolina fans stormed the court. And I remember walking with Tommy Amaker, looking back going, well, this is different. And, and we're we're like, this is almost like winning, uh, to see this. And, uh, you know, that's when we felt like the rivalry kind of flipped where everybody, everybody involved in it, looked at it as a 50, 50 fair fight. And, and how about this? In the last 100 games, the rivalry is 50-50, hmm. and the total points scored is separated by a total of 12. Oh. Like, that's impossible. Oh. Wow. If, if, you, if somebody brought that in a Hollywood script and said, here it is, here's, here's the rivalry, all that stuff, nobody would believe that. And, and you tell me another rivalry, whether it's Ohio State-Michigan or Yankees-Red uh, Sox or whatever you want to pick. That, that can boast that with all the championships and all that stuff, that it's that close and, and, and essentially a coin flip every time. Steelers-Ravens maybe yeah, comes it's, close there. Yeah. It's so – you guys, and I, I was telling Max, JB, I want oh, to – Oh, Steelers-Ravens. Yeah. Because – no, because over a long period of time, it was like dead even and the points were dead even. Like that's the thing, Jay – it's one thing to be 50, 50, 12 points separating them. It's unfathomable. Over 100 points. games? It's crazy. 12 it's points. crazy. JB, and, neither, and neither Duke or Carolina were, a, were in a, a team that moved from one city to the other. They've been there the whole time. Jay, it's funny how North Carolina has played such a role, right? Because I grew up kind of a North Carolina fan when I was small, and then obviously meeting Coach K, the rest is history. But uh, I, I'm not sure. I think you were calling the game. Uh, my sophomore year, my favorite moment, we lose Carlos Boozer uh, in Maryland on senior night. And we think the season is pretty much over. And Coach K kind of creates this Golden State Warrior strategy where we're just going to shoot a ton of threes. And uh, we go into North Carolina. That's when they had Brandon Haywood, Chris Lang, all these guys. And we just shot the lights out of it. And there was no better feeling in all of sports for me in that moment, JB. Just go back to your moment you were talking about then. Feeling Chapel Hill just be dead silent. Like that silence is one of the most glorifying, rewarding feelings in all sports, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, and, and if but that's that's from the Duke perspective. If you if you flip it, you know the the Carolina perspective. I, you know Tyler Hansborough won yeah. four times at Cameron Indoor yes, Stadium. I don't know who's ever done that. You know the the moments go both. Like I, I remember in 1995, I think it was when Jerry Stackhouse uh, did that uh, reverse dunk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in Cameron in that that double overtime game where Jeff Capel hit the shot to tie it and all that stuff and Carolina Carolina wound up winning that and I remember my my broadcast partner at the time because a, a Stackhouse strutting around uh, afterwards saying well he, he didn't like the strut and he says well this that seems unnecessary and I go are you kidding like if I did that I would have done way more than that <laughs> like that was one of the best dunks you've ever seen mm. and so the mo- the moments are one thing. But the thing about this rivalry is you don't have to explain it. All you do is say Duke Carolina and everybody gets it. And and for, for like Key and all that, when I grew up in L.A. and USC UCLA was the rivalry I grew up with. So in my view, every rivalry is just as intense to the to the participants. Like, they're, they're, you know, there's no difference between, you know, the intensity of the rivalry in, in SC UCLA and Duke Carolina. But what what 
makes Duke Carolina different is everything around it adds to the temperature. And, and it's, it's a wider swath of people that care. And you walk into the building when you're a player, and you, you can't explain this to people. I mean, and I'm going to try anyway, but the, the air is heavier. It's hotter in there. Um, you, you, your blood pumps differently. I mean, you had, you had to convince yourself during warmups, don't wear yourself out in warmups. There's a lot, you know, you got to save it for the game because you could emotionally wear yourself out uh, going into that game because it meant so much to so many people and you knew it. And you don't have, you can't explain it to a freshman what's going to happen. You know, it's like jumping out of an airplane. You know, you can say, here's how it's going to feel, but you can't, you know, you can't explain it. They got to do it themselves to figure it out. The great Jay Billis, ladies and gentlemen. And if we've learned anything from this conversation, it's that I have a feeling I know who's TPing your house, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling I know. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. <laughs> All right, JB. If you want to hear more from Jay Billis, and who wouldn't, he is part of the new ESPN Films, the tournament in partnership with the ACC Network, a history of ACC men's basketball presented by New York Life, the story of arguably the most storied, significant, and successful conference in the history of men's college basketball. Episode one of the 10-part, 10-hour documentary debuts on Monday, February 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern, Following the Pitt at Virginia Tech game on ACCN at 7 p.m. Episode 2 immediately follows at 10 p.m. Two episodes will air each Monday night at 9 and 10 p.m. through March 7th. New name, same stink. That's next. Keyshawn J. Willemax on ESPN Radio and the Sirius XM Channel 80. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max presented by Progressive Insurance. Harry Douglas in for Key today. There are new allegations, guys, against Washington commanders. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take some getting used to. Owner Daniel Snyder, former Washington commanders employee, Tiffany Johnston, made new allegations against team owner Dan Snyder on Thursday at a roundtable before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Here is Tiffany Johnston speaking to Congress. Avoid an uncomfortable situation in front of potential suite owners is to just do what my boss asks, which on one occasion involved him tossing me in the air to do a cheerleader stunt for a client 
while I was wearing a skirt. I learned on one specific occasion that when I was asked by my boss to attend a networking event and oh, to dress cute, it was actually an orchestration by him and Dan Snyder to put me in a compromising sexual situation. I learned that placing me strategically by the owner at a work dinner after this networking event was not for me to discuss business, but to allow him, Dan Snyder, to place his hand on my thigh under the table. Look, the Washington football team may have a new name, but this is a stench they can't get rid of, but they need to. It's embarrassing for the NFL. If there's been this type of outrage, Harry, about a guy like Stephen Ross for tanking, like, <laughs> where's, the, where's the outrage for this? Like, it's, it's almost something that it feels like we've forgotten a little bit about, right? Like when these accusations first came out, it's like, oh, well, he got a $10 million fine, and he removed himself away from day-to-day operations. And, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly, but his wife still runs it. Like, like this needs to be addressed head-on by the NFL because these stories are going to keep coming out. It's going to keep being worse. And what does it say about where the NFL stands on things like sexual harassment? Like, that's a big thing. That's embarrassing not only for the league, but for all the people in Washington. And across the world, frankly. Yeah, I think the NFL has has had a numerous opportunities to be able to um, make a statement. And when I mean make a statement, I'm not talking about with words, but with their actions and doing certain things when certain things have occurred in the National Football League. And I think each time they continuously to drop the ball, Jay, mm-hmm. because you have a daughter, right? Yes, I do. I have a daughter. Max, you have a daughter, Three. right? Three daughters. I'm going to tell you this. Play with the wrong person and play with the wrong person's daughter. Yeah, watch what happens. And see what happens. Yeah. That's um, the best way I can put it. Guys, play with the wrong one. Power is well known. Like, look at popular culture, right? Like, from Lord of the Rings to Star Wars, whatever, right? Like, in popular culture, the, the entire world understands that power is a corrupting influence, let alone political theory and all. Power is a corrupting influence. Um, you have to be on guard against that. And when you have, you know, a kind of. Um, an accumulation, a concentration of enormous power, as you do in the NFL with these owners, which is, you know, it can, that the abuse of that power, or the, I shouldn't say, the corrupting nature of that power can be seen in hiring practices and in treatment of employees, and that can cut across racial and gender lines and often does. And that's a lot of, of what we've been dealing with today. Uh, and this week, the timing of this is so fascinating because you come out the other day and say, oh, we're the Washington Commanders. And then people are like, no, no, no. This is who you are. Yeah. Cover up. This is who you are. May have to command that team to get a new owner. Keyshawn J. Will and Max, ESPN Radio. Watch a whole lot. I've, I've, I've seen him uh, several times. Um that interview got off to a legendary start. <laughs> legendary. I'm all right. I'm just having two. <laughs> Don't watch the Giants either. Mm. Okay, great. Number one. I think it was a very successful first episode of the morning roast, uh, even though it probably went a little bit too far with, with Dave Rothenberg this morning. You so, pantless freak. You know, poor Cullum. If you don't want the heat, don't come in the kitchen. Poor Cullum's onboard baby, but it's 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 all good. Um, I'm looking forward to the morning roast becoming a Friday staple on DPHO and Rothenberg. Oh, you know what, Santhi? Kudos to you. Very, very, very well done. Uh, KJM comes your way in just moments right here on 98.7 ESPN, J. Will, Max, they are with us. Guys, I said this earlier, and I know... 
because you both adore the Giants, as any red-blooded American, in fact, would. Correct. I want your, <laughs> I want your take on it. Giants trade Saquon Barkley. We did a little research. Um, Rick texted Mike Tenenbaum, who said, I think you could realistically get a second-round pick for Saquon Barkley. Would you do it? Do you like the prospect of moving on from him? You're going to have to do it to make up for the draft pick you're about to lose from this from this Flores situation. I mean, can you believe the Giants can't hire a head coach without the good chance they lose a draft pick? It's unbelievable. But, guys, um, I love Saquon Barkley. He's actually my favorite player in the NFL. I love Saquon Barkley. Yeah, what are you doing with Saquon right now? Like, what are you doing right now? You're not competing in games. You're not competing in seasons. Um, you're going to have to pay him eventually. Usually a bad idea to pay a running back. You can get a second-round pick to go with the multiple firsts that the Giants have coming up because they, they passed on Micah Parsons and Justin Fields. I think you have to. Dave, Rick, let me ask you guys this. I'll pose mm-hmm. it. You may shut it down. Uh, it's something that my friends have talked about on our text chains. If you had a chance to do a deal with the Houston Texans for James Bradbury, Saquon Barkley, maybe a first-round pick 2022-2023, for Deshaun Watson, would you do it? So here's the thing. Player for player, giving up that to get that player, yes. I, I, I can't envision the Giants and, and the conservative nature that they run this team with that they would ever bring in Deshaun no, Watson. Matter of fact, when, when um, Shane got the job originally, he came out and said, proud of a team that you'll be proud of on and off the field. I thought, huh, that's a little, that's the first false note I heard. Off the field, no one has an issue at, the, at that moment with the Giants off the field. And then Mara, John Mara, was asked point blank about Deshaun Watson, and he said, no, no okay. Deshaun Watson on the Giants. That, that's fine to say now. I'm just saying, as we've seen in life and in this industry we're working, things are fluid. Things change depending upon what outcomes happen. You know, he's supposed to be deposed in late February, so we'll see what happens with this. Well, but it's, the, just, it's interesting. It is interesting about Deshaun because he is – look, I, I don't consider him a football player at the moment because he has 22. Two separate women Understood. alleging very similar things. Twenty-two, not one or two. Twenty-two. So the odds that I mean, like, let's see how that. Let's see the next time he plays football because it doesn't mean you can never play football again. But you got to deal. We got to answer for that first. Deal with it, and then and then be responsible for it. Now, after that, guys, when people start pointing around the league, what's the answer to Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, all in the AFC? Right? Aaron Rodgers is still around it. Well, Deshaun Watson is right in that category in terms of his on-the-play field. He's a monster. He's a, you know, maybe that's the wrong word. Yes. He's a superstar on the field. Yep. Yeah, here's the thing, though, too, Jay. I mean, it's I don't even know if that would be enough. I mean, we heard, what, three first-round picks in two seconds for Deshaun yeah. Watson, and that deal didn't get done? It's just so one of those conversations. It's a asking price. Yeah, no, I, no, I listen, I mean, Deshaun Watson, when he does come back, we forget. I mean, he's one of the top quarterbacks in the whole league. So no, you get I don't the, think it's a terrible idea. You get the second-rounder for, for Saquon. And you have all these firsts and seconds and everything. Draft the greatest offensive line of all time over the next mm-hmm. several years. And then you wait for the right quarterback to present themselves if Daniel Jones doesn't pan out. Which is, you know, it's likely he won't based on what we've seen so far. But maybe he could. And if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. The infrastructure's there. Just, You'll get your hands on a quarterback and it's off to the races. It's just interesting as a Giants fan that wants to see us have a dynamic quarterback. And I'm not saying that Daniel Jones or if Mitchell Trubisky comes here that they can't be that. Even though I, I think odds are they won't. But, like, watching all the names of the quarterback you just said, though, Max, like the elite-level quarterbacks, it makes me a little bit sour. Yeah, no, yeah. you're not wrong. And it should. Guys, have a great weekend. Jay, this is for you because I do love you. I hope Duke hammers North Carolina tomorrow. Yes! We're going to cover! Jay, not I'm, like I'm the next guy. Have, have, a, have a great weekend. We appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. You too. All right. 
Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio.